Good morning, church. It's my joy and my pleasure to preach to you this morning. Uh, me and my family, we've been coming to this church almost four years now this summer. Um, yeah, you can clap for that. That's a good thing. <laughs> um, every week, we've been so challenged and encouraged by the teaching, supported by the brothers and sisters, so we just want to say thank you. Uh, we're here at KBC, we're so blessed to have Pastor Randy and our supporting pastors um, who can take really difficult and vast topics like Revelation and teach over many months. I don't have that same gift or time with you today, so my sermon's going to be a little bit more direct. However, I've crafted this plan because I want to be your favorite guest speaker, that just entirely by getting you out early to lunch, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I guess that's okay to clap. I won't tell Randy. I think I heard the pregnant moms even say amen in the back back there. All right, so how many of you have favorites, specifically thinking about people? Could be past, could be present. Some say you shouldn't even pick favorites. I would say those people are wrong because Jesus had favorites. Not that we should love people less or more or treat people differently, just that we identify and connect with people, some more than others. One of my favorite people has always been Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, but he was also part of this close inner circle of the people that knew like the inmost parts of Jesus. Even if you don't know Peter in the Bible, you know a Peter. He's that charismatic guy. He's fun to be around. He's the one at parties, everybody's around, and he's telling stories. However, his enthusiasm, it gets him in trouble sometimes. He can tend to jump in with both feet without thinking of the consequences. You know, sometimes you're rooting for him, and the next moment you're like, Ooh, probably shouldn't have done that. These rises and falls of our Bible heroes, though, it's part of their humanity. It's a way that we connect with them. So that's why the Bible displays the ugly parts along with the beautiful and the redemptive parts. So today we're going to look at this moment between Jesus and Peter. They're going to be the central characters and then we're going to reflect on how it's relevant to our own relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for life and breath that we have. We thank you that your grace and your love is greater than our sin and our selfishness, Lord. Father, would you take my weakness now and be glorified in it, Father, through the teaching of your word. Would you, by your spirit, Father, help us to understand your truth and your words and how to apply them. Would you be with our leaders over on Lanai? Uh, would you strengthen them and give them wisdom and words to be able to teach the children over there uh, that they might receive and see your love, Father, that when they come home from camp, Lord, that they would have lasting memories of what you've done for them, and how you showed them your love and your compassion. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
We're five minutes in, I already need a drink, sorry. All right, before we get into the text, I need to set the background for you. So the disciples had recently buried their good friend and prophet, John the Baptist. He was gruesomely beheaded. This was the man that they watched baptize Jesus, and they repeatedly heard Jesus speak great things about John. Now they had to go inform Jesus that their good friend was dead. So Jesus hears this painful news, and he withdraws to a desolate place. During that time, Jesus' fame had spread all over. People were coming from neighboring towns and villages just to hear Jesus. When Jesus saw these crowds coming, he healed their sick. So evening came, and the disciples said, hey, I think we need to send the people home. They need something to eat. So Jesus does what he does a lot, and he does the opposite. He says, no, you guys feed the people so they can stay. And the disciples point out the obvious. Um, we just have a couple fish and a few loaves of bread. Jesus, in their unbelief, performs this huge miracle, and he feeds 5,000 people, not even including women and children. So there were a lot more on a kid's lunch of fish and a little bit of bread. In Hawaii terms, that's like three bento boxes, I'm pretty sure. So that's where our text starts. Oh, which, by the way, that was 12 baskets more than they had originally even started with. It's kind of some funny math. All right, so next is where our text starts. So once everybody's fed, Jesus tells the disciples, get in a boat and go to the other side of the sea. Then he dismisses the crowds. So Jesus does this often. If you've read through the Gospels, you notice that there's a lot of references to him going out into the wilderness or desolate places to pray. Do any of you guys have lonely places to pray? Um, some of my favorite prayer times are hiking alone in the woods or on a mountain or finding a stretch of beach that nobody's on. If your mind tends to be distracted or interrupted, following Jesus' model here might be a new approach for you. So about a month back, we visited my family on the mainland, and I have a twin brother, and he just had this beautiful 1,700-foot custom home built. So he did the tour with me. So they've got vaulted ceilings and granite countertops. Their, living or, or their bedroom is actually bigger than my living room. There's like so much room for activities around in there. But I didn't see my brother's face light up till we got to the bathroom. So we walked through the bathroom, and in the back is this little closet. It had to be only like six by six feet. And my brother boasts, this is where I go to get away from the kids when I just need some alone time. It's the only place in the whole house that's mine for whatever I want to do. For my brother, that was his wilderness. So get creative. All right, now let's jump back to the disciples here. Jesus had told them, get in a boat and go to the other side of the sea. Their boat was a long way from land at this time, being beaten by the waves 
and the wind was against them. Do we have any paddlers in here? I think you guys just like punishment. Um, have you ever tried to make progress and the waves are huge and the wind is blowing against you? I see a few nods. So I've only been out paddling a couple times. It was calm, there was no wind. I only did it for a few minutes and I was exhausted. I couldn't imagine how grueling it must have been for the disciples. They're tired after a long day. They just finished releasing the crowds and now they're paddling all night in this huge storm. I can hear the disciples grumbling to each other, something like, I can't believe he told us to get in this boat and row right now after this long day that we just had. Yeah, Jesus is probably curled up by the fire right now resting. I've got blisters covering my hands and it's freezing cold. Oh, I've already thrown up 10 times and we're still not there. Now, who knows what they actually said in those moments, but just human nature tells me they're not at their best right now. I want you to get that image and just sit in the boat with the disciples right now to feel what they must be feeling in that moment. Then in verse 25, Jesus finally comes walking on the sea. Let's read that together. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. So the fourth watch, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. That means the disciples have been struggling on the water from sunset all the way till then. I don't know about you, but that's not a popular time to be awake. It's spooky enough on its own when you're not deliriously exhausted or fear, fearing the storm that you're in. And we know the Bible doesn't exaggerate or embellish, and it uses the words terrified. So I'm trying to picture these brave and macho fishermen who legitimately thought that Jesus was a ghost. Apparently, ghost stories have been around a long time. They're still freaking people out today. Let me give you an example. So late at night, when I come home from working, I come back, every light in the house is on, every window and door is bolted shut, and then I go in and greet my wife. Ladies, don't deny it. I know you guys do that too, maybe even some of the guys, all right? All right, so Jesus immediately responds to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. If you're not familiar with the term take heart, it means to feel optimistic or to have courage. Wow, what comforting words it must have been to hear from their teacher and friend, and he's finally there with them. All right, I told you we're gonna look at this dramatic moment between Peter and Jesus. Now that moment's about to begin with a splash. Peter answers Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. 
Then Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat. He's walking to Jesus. Wow, let's look at a couple really interesting things there. First of all, Peter doesn't do anything until Jesus says, come. Why do you think that is? It's kind of an odd way to approach doing something. Hey, um, I want to come do that thing you're doing, but I'm only going to come do it if you tell me to. Why ask? Why not just jump in and do it? So Peter did think a little bit before this action. Peter's putting his faith in Jesus in that moment, not himself. And he's saying, if you support me in this, this crazy thing, then I'll do it. If you command the water and the waves to hold me, then I'll do it. But on the other hand, if you're not with me, then I think I'm going to stay in the boat. The second interesting thing, there are still at least 11 more people in the boat. Why isn't anybody else motivated to jump in and walk to Jesus? We don't hear anything from them other than they're terrified. These men have watched Jesus perform incredible miracles, and they're still doubting. Here's just a few of the things they've witnessed already. These are all things Jesus did. Healed a leper, healed paralyzed, cast out demons, calmed a storm, a different storm, and we're going to come back to that. Raised the dead, restored the sight of two blind men, healed a man unable to speak, healed a man's withered hand, and many, many others, written and not written. That's not a small list. All right, let's get back to Peter. He's walking on the water to Jesus. He's doing great. Then he sees the wind and recognizes the absurdity of the situation, that like, what was I thinking moment? And he's filled with fear, and he begins to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. Why is Peter sinking? Peter has taken his eyes off Jesus and he's redirected at the fear of the situation. He's taken his eyes off Jesus and he's letting fear take its place. Then what happens? Peter's sinking, but he doesn't sink immediately. There's a portion of grace there from Jesus that Peter wasn't just immediately engulfed by the sea. Peter has time to refocus his eyes back on Jesus, and he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus swiftly reaches out and grabs Peter's hand, and he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Then as they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and they worshiped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Ouch! Peter, you are doing so good. This is where the story starts to sound familiar if you've been reading through Matthew. 
So there's this parallel I want to point out. Matthew uses repetitions to help drive home a point, just the way John circles back a lot in Revelation. So here's a previous reference, Matthew 8, verses 23 through 26. And I'm just going to summarize part of that for you. The disciples and Jesus were in a boat again. They're on the sea, and a great storm arose. Jesus is asleep peacefully on a cushion, and the disciples wake him up. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Jesus' response, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then Jesus rebukes the winds and the sea, and it was calm. That phrase, you have little faith, or something really similar to that, maybe with just the word spun, it's used in Matthew's gospel four more times. So I'm going to put those references up there for you so you have a moment to write them down. You can look them up. These phrases about faith, they're painful, aren't they? A little bit of self-reflection. So these examples, they're not just for Peter. They're not for the disciples observing in the boat only. It's for you and me as well. If we read this story and we focus the blame on Peter, we're missing the point. Peter at least had some faith. He got out of the boat. So there are many layers of application, but I want to focus on just three right now with you. Our first, get out of the boat. When you hear the commands of Jesus, take action. We are created with a purpose. That's to glorify God in our thoughts and our actions. That's going to take movement on our part. What does this look like in our daily grind? Sometimes we're afraid to move, to step away from a comfortable job to pursue something that's more worthwhile. We're afraid to have a baby because of the extra expenses. Too afraid to talk about Christ to a coworker because of feeling awkward or not fitting in or maybe we're unsure what to say. Is there something you're hesitant about right now because of fear or doubt Application number two, keep looking toward Jesus. Keep your eyes on him who guides your steps and places your feet securely. How do you do that? We've got 66 books of promises and encouragement right here. You can count on all of them. Having a rich Bible study and prayer life, That keeps our eyes focused on Jesus. That might mean for some of us, less time on Netflix or Facebook or video games, whatever's filling our time, we need to devote more time to reading God's word. 
We spoke about Jesus' prayer life earlier. That's how we bring our thoughts, our requests, our praises, our laments to a God who greatly, greatly cares for us. Third point, when you are sinking, cry out to Jesus. Some of you are in really difficult times today. You or a loved one have painful afflictions or illness. Maybe you lost your job or divorced from a spouse or a loved one has passed. These are very real, painful, difficult, every adjective you want to say, experiences. And they take a lot of time to get through. We can have a tendency in these difficult moments and extreme moments to turn to other things like drugs or alcohol to help numb or escape those emotions that we're feeling. Some people take a different approach and they distract their mind by turning to hobbies or their job and just putting all their focus there. Maybe immersing themselves in a hobby like golf or surfing. I promise you, none of those things are going to give you the comfort that Jesus will. He nourishes the spirit and the body and knows the inner thoughts of your heart, including your storms. And maybe you don't even know Jesus, and you just need to cry out to him. Where are you today? Are you in a storm? Are you paralyzed by fear and sinking? Are you taking one step at a time in faith? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for your faithfulness and your kindness, that your words are true, they are eternal, Lord, and we can count on you that we can find our rest in you in the most dramatic and uncertain circumstances. Father, would you help us through your spirit to turn to you when we're drawn away by fear and uncertainty, Lord? Um, would you, in your kindness, turn us back? Would you be merciful to us in that, Lord? We thank you that we have hope, Lord, that we know that these afflictions, these troubles, they are not forever, Father. One day, Father, things will be perfect and we will rest in you in eternity. Would you help us till we get there, Lord? Would you help us to find peace and hope now in our hearts, even though days can be a struggle? We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.